I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello and welcome to another episode of All Things Policy. My name is uh, Sachin Kalbag. I'm senior fellow at Takshashila Institution. On February 28th, an international report compiled by Access Now and Keep It On Coalition said that India topped the list of countries with the most number of internet shutdowns for the fifth year in a row. India enforced as many as 84 internet shutdowns in 2022 and they were ordered due to various reasons including protests conflict school exams and elections in 2022 the internet was shut down 49 times in jammu and kashmir the highest for any state in the country as per the report this included a string of 16 back to back orders for three day long shutdowns in january and february 2022 in the region authorities in rajasthan imposed shutdowns on 12 different occasions followed by west bengal which ordered shutdowns seven times Since uh, 2016, India has accounted for approximately 58% of all documented shutdowns globally, according to the same report that was titled "Weapons of Control: Shields of Impunity: Internet Shutdowns in 2022." So, currently, internet shutdown orders are governed under the Temporary Suspension of Telecom Services (bracket Public Emergency or Public Safety Rules) of 2017. the rules were framed by the department of telecommunications they say that temporary suspensions can be due to public emergency or public safety and gives senior bureaucrats from the home ministry at the central and the state levels the power to order shutdowns so today i have with me apar gupta the executive director of the internet freedom foundation apar as many of you would know has been a lawyer all his career and has fought several legal battles to ensure the internet remains free in india his biggest battle was of course against section 66a of the information technology act of 2000 in the now famous shreya single case wherein the supreme court of india struck down the section as unconstitutional in 2015 in october 2022 the supreme court in a bench comprising chief justice u u lalit and two other judges directed that no one should be prosecuted under section 66a of the information technology act of 2000 in the same judgment the court ordered a slew of directions uh, to the director generals of police and home secretaries of all states to ensure that uh, reference to section 66a is removed from all pending cases the court also directed that the bare acts of the it act be published and should adequately inform the readers that section 66 has been invalidated thanks uh, so much apar for joining us apar holds a graduate degree from the Amity Law School and a postgraduate degree in law from the Columbia Law School in New York. Here we are then apart. Thank you once again for joining us for the All Things Policy podcast. Thank you so much for having me here Sachin looking forward to the conversation and uh, possibly engaging in a, a wider uh, discussion on how internet shutdowns have come to be such a terrible blot on our democratic freedoms in India. Exactly that's a great way to start the conversation apar and quite relevant because i wanted to understand why do you think there are so many internet shutdowns in a democracy like india and what exactly are the authorities trying to achieve uh, with these shutdowns 
So I'll step back from the specific legality of the analysis, which is sure to follow to state that when India became independent, it became independent on the basis of a colonial state, which was in a way a very deeply entrenched into our administrative order. We see it with district magistrates. We also, for the lawyers who may be hearing, is that there are so many words of Farsi which populate uh, our day-to-day interactions with the legal systems, such as the Vakalat Nama by itself, which come through a mix of Urdu, Farsi, and Hindustani. So more or less, it shows that the language itself is a representative of a post-colonial state, which has not truly become democratic. A constitution does say we are a democracy, but I would say we have never truly achieved that because it is an aim, it is an objective, and it is a process. And what this does broadly, this conceptual framework offers is some understanding into why local authorities, why does a district magistrate, why does a state government completely shut down the internet to prevent cheating in an exam or what it calls is to prevent unrest in a local community, which seems so disproportionate, which seems so severe because one would expect that shutting off access to a utility such as the internet, which has close to about 800 million active connections in India, would be seen as a severe disability today, given that people rely on it for their day-to-day activities, both in the zone of their professional lives as well as their personal lives. Absolutely. And this this brings me to the question of how people, the citizens of India, how do they respond in those areas where there are internet shutdowns? Because I would assume that even a simple thing like a UPI payment, you know, for uh, something that you buy at a shop will be, you know, governed by the internet connection and, you know, will be facilitated by the internet connection. And you will not be able to do, do even a simple thing like buying something using a UPI, even going and, you know, say investing in a stock market, for instance, or replying to an email or just doing your day-to-day work will be so tough. So in your experience, apart, how do you, how have you seen citizens in these areas that are affected respond to government orders like this? So I'll give you two very, very clear instances. The first comes from the city of Udaipur in Rajasthan where the Udaipur Chamber of Commerce and Industry and the Hotel Association of Udaipur have actually approached the Rajasthan High Court after writing repeatedly for a period of more than a year to the local district magistrate as well as the Home Secretary, please do not pass internet shutdown orders. And their pleas are based on actual impacts on their commercial operations. The first is... We may think Udaipur is some backwater, but it's very developed with having a core industrial base of exporters who manufacture and have very intelligent manufacturing processes and plants. These plants also require internet connectivity given these are modern machines and sometimes internet enabled devices which are required for measurement and for interaction with cloud-based services. This has completely grinded their work and introduced a level of unpredictability in terms of their ability to fulfill contracts, especially with foreign parties where delay damages can be imposed on them. So there's a clear financial cost on a complete city, which then has a downstream effect on the workers who work in these plants. Their employment, their livelihood, their day-to-day activity is impacted. And look at the hotel association, which is also a co-petitioner here, which says that people sometimes even refuse to pay our bills. Sometimes they 
seek to send money at a latter point in time because you cannot even sometimes swipe cards if there is a complete internet shutdown which is not limited to only mobile modes sometimes they are not able to also travel smoothly because cabs which are operating in the area such as a uber or a ola is not able to pick them up from the airport so they have to wait for a few hours it thereby undermines the very promise of udaipur as a city which can be visited by especially foreign tourists which are very very necessary for the local economy in order to view all the havelis all the palaces in rajasthan these are very clear examples now second example i'll give you is the one from jammu and kashmir where during covid also there was a internet shutdown which in fact actually impacted not only telemedicine but remote education for children who were in various places and were not being able to attend primary and secondary education properly now most of this education was being conducted by local private schools through uh, zoom calls or google meet calls and what we have seen has been a very very severe impact on children where they have lost complete years sometimes they have not been able to for people who are uh, just graduated even been able to fill in the entrance forms for central universities in other parts of india so it has also deepened a kind of distance between the human development indicators of jammu and kashmir and i'm saying jammu and kashmir because it's also been jammu it's not only been parts of kashmir where this internet right. shutdown has been right. and essentially these are very tangible examples why internet shutdowns are in some way a deprivation of not only the fundamental right to freedom of speech and expression but a wider rubric of the right to life itself exactly but you know i i want to understand this from a policy perspective in the sense that there must be some government logic or or some logic of the district magistrates or the bureaucrats in, at the central or the state level to impose these shutdowns is is this a fear that you know something terribly wrong is going to happen is this uh, something like a you know like a government officer not trusting the citizen of the country to behave in a way in certain situations that the government expects her or him to behave uh, what exactly is going on sachin you are completely right i think there is a power imbalance and there's a lack of trust by government in citizens as much as we are told to trust the government i think the government does not extend that same good faith onto every ordinary indian today they expect us to be our worst to act like the mob and i think this goes back to my first response when i opened that we are still a post colonial state in the process of a democratic transformation and much more recently it is not progressing at a pace which we have seen possibly earlier in our lifetimes this kind of democratic contraction which is happening is also visible much more specifically if we actually read the internet shutdown orders and here i would like to point out two specific things the first thing is whenever we query internet shutdown orders prior to that anuradha basin judgment which is somewhat setting the law on transparency that you need to disclose these internet shutdown orders publish them etc we used to file rtis and try to query these internet shutdown orders also from sometimes uh, websites of government departments what we found was in most states the internet shutdown orders were essentially cyclostyle replications with the same reasons 
which are non-speaking, they essentially state a time, a place, an event, and they state that they want to prevent, they don't have any actionable insight, they don't have any preventive intelligence, they don't have any evidence to back up these claims, and they say that they are shutting down the internet for three days, four days, or in the case of Darjeeling, like it was for a rolling shut, internet shutdown for 100 days. So this has been uh, not only there in Rajasthan, this has been there in Bihar, where we try to query internet shutdown orders. We have studied them. So what these templatized, cyclostyled internet shutdown orders for different reasons to prevent cheating an exam or to also prevent civic interest is showing is that quite often the administrator in the state government is viewing the internet as a form of technology which offers civic participation which they cannot control. And because they cannot control and they do not trust the people who use this technology, rather than focusing on better policing, better invigilation in an exam, they go after the technology by itself. Because shutting down the internet is not only aimed at those specific test centers or those specific areas or zones where the interest will happen or it is done when the interest starts happening. It is aimed at a sometimes an entire district, an entire city. Geographically, as well as technically, it does not only seek to limit specific access to services for a limited period of time, but seeks to clamp down on the entire internet. For instance, even UPI transactions. Hence, it is disproportionate. The administrators today have failed to recognize that one of the core attributive elements of the internet is two-way communication. And this comes a bit from the law which has licensed always these kind of telegraph transistors in which used to receive information. For instance, our, our parents used to have all these radios for which they used to seek licenses if they were lucky enough and also had enough money to purchase one. It came with a license. So as the license large has gone away, I think that instinct, that institutional culture of control has still been baked very, very heavily into our administrative and into our political class. So it's like, you know, when the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yes. And sometimes a hammer is much easier to pick up than a chisel. Yeah. So uh, in these situations apart, because, you know, these internet shutdowns are not common in other democracies and are often seen to be imposed in other authoritarian countries such as Turkey or Syria, you know, countries which are going through a very, very visible civil or civic unrest. But in India, there is no visible civil interest. Clearly, the government, you know, seeks to undermine the freedoms of the citizen using this internet shutdowns uh, locally or at a state level, whatever the case may be. But it brings me to a question about what is the level of pushback from the citizens themselves? Uh, Are there any legal arguments against internet shutdowns? And in what way can I, concerned citizen, push back the government into not imposing these internet shutdowns in the future. So Sachin, this brings me to a very interesting learning which I've had. And you've hinted to it also that what are the legal avenues and recourses available to citizens? I believe the challenge in a court needs to be complemented by other advocacy strategies, what we call in IFF as full court advocacy, which means engaging with the executive branches of government, both consultatively as well as through advocacy and prompting them to a position. 
engaging with the legislative bodies, both at the state and the central level, as well as looking at the various institutional mechanisms which are available beyond the courts. Because sometimes filing a PIL is the easiest thing to do. But of course, we know the reality as well that the results are indeterminate as well as the results do not come through immediately. It takes time. So I think what needs to be done also much more broadly is already being done to some extent. You have highlighted the Access Now report, and I think so there have been counts of the number of internet shutdowns as well as counts on the economic loss caused by internet shutdowns continuously. What this has done, it has spurred expert as well as wider public conversation. So podcasts such as today need to be done in broader formats beyond policy audiences to build a greater level of civic literacy. I believe when in the state election agendas of political parties, we find reflections that there will be a reform of internet shutdown practices at the state level, we will be reaching somewhere. And this needs to be picked up by associations, by bodies, by civil uh, society groups uh, in terms of petitioning the local politicians to the block level, to your MLA level, to say that this is a real problem for us. We need this kind of reform. Because beyond a free expression and a core civil rights issue, it's a broader human rights issue of economic opportunity, of social mobility, of ability to also keep in touch with your friends and family who are not there in that city by itself. So I believe the full court advocacy toolkit is something which needs to be implemented by more organizations, not only digital rights organizations, organizations which are are concerned with any area of work which may be impacted by the internet. For instance, even an industry association, I think, needs to pick this up much more actively. I believe uh, today what we see is also a form of threat, censure, and also a vulnerability in advancing these kind of arguments, where it's immediately seen to be a security risk, to be something which confronts national interest in a view. But I believe that these kind of arguments are facile. They are quite often ad hominem or out of bad faith. And I believe as the public center goes more and more, we will see movement on these issues. It's not as if we have not seen movement. And here I'd like to end the answer by saying that, for instance, even in the cases of Jammu and Kashmir, in the Anuradha Basi judgment, as much as the court did not examine the specific internet shutdown orders, did not call them illegal, its decision endorsed human rights principles of necessity and proportionality. It also required the disclosure, thereby decreasing the lack of transparency in when internet shutdowns are ordered and why they are. I think now we need to take further steps in order for courts as well as broader society to act on it, for courts to actually hold internet shutdowns illegal and strike down these kind of orders, stay them, which we have achieved in one of the cases which we have represented, in which a court has struck down an order by the state of West Bengal and ordered internet to be restored in nine districts. So it happened last year. This movement is happening but it is slow. People need to be patient. They need to organize and collaborate together for us to reform this practice, which has quite frankly grown out of proportion. Thank you, Apar. We'll take a short break here, Apar, and we'll come back on the other side of this promo. (music) 
Abar, you've been talking about these issues through your op-eds, through your columns, through your website. And I wanted to understand from you, once these uh, op-eds are written or once these columns are you know, broadcast on various media channels, do you get the kind of response from you know, media organizations or from industry allies, industry organizations or associations who say that, yes, there is a direct economic fallout of internet shutdowns on our business, on our economy, on our uh, industrial ecosystem. And that's why we need to push back. And will you, as the Internet Freedom Foundation or any other you know, advocacy group, join us and take this fight forward? Do you get any such responses? So, quite frankly, after an op-ed is written, usually I share it on Twitter and my social media channels. IFF also shares it. And uh, my experience has been such in that if the op-ed touches upon an issue of public conversation at that point in time, for instance, if people are discussing a specific YouTube influencer and how that person is also a vigilante, may have caused death to people, and I write an op-ed about YouTube's content moderation practices, how the rules deal with it, it gets a lot of response. My experience has been that engagement on several of these issues needs to be done in a rapid manner which addresses a social conversation in order to complement it with expert analysis. And that's one benefit you have at that point in time. You have that lever where the iron is a little hot and you can strike it. In addition to that, that needs to be complemented by long-term work, which is coalition building, expert analysis, institutional engagement. And here, I would say that while civil society has, to a certain extent, collaborated, this kind of collaboration between a different stakeholders groups doesn't exist. And that's not because civil society has not reached out to industry or uh, associations regularly. It has. Some of them have, in fact, also stated that economic impacts on their businesses and have collaborated with us. For instance, I just named the Udaipur Chamber of Commerce, the Udaipur Hotel Association. Quite often, it's also been press publications who have made this a continuing issue and cataloged it. It's also been very buttoned down think tanks, which are not advocacy organizations like us. For instance, the first paper itself on economic losses, which are caused by internet shutdowns in 2019, was, um, I think, written, or 2018, was written by uh, Daryl West at Brookings. You estimated that um, internet shutdowns cost 2.4 billion in, uh, I think, so in 2016, sorry. Yeah. And I think so last year, it was about 2 billion for India itself. So as the internet has grown close to that. So I think... There is collaboration, but you don't see telecom companies or internet companies which are directly impacted by it, even talking about it. I'll give some specific examples because I think it is useful for people to understand. For instance, the data which comes on internet shutdowns is still not centrally maintained. We rely on trackers which are based on media reports. Hence, civil society scrapes like access or SFLC will scrape that data and give a count at the end of the year how many internet shutdowns were there and also file some RTIs. But you do not have a central repository. One way to uh, overcome this data, the data dark box 
is to essentially for a large service provider such as meta platforms which has facebook instagram and basically used by on every smartphone in this country in some way or the other whatsapp is to essentially monitor network traffic data and say that when shutdowns or technical disruptions is happening is to offer a count meta and facebook in its transparency reports has actually done that but has not continued it does not release that data regularly and the same can be done by a provider such as google which serves you youtube and google search services however google which even has a magazine and devoted an entire issue on internet shutdowns did not even have a mention of india so their commercial interests may be so high that they are not touching upon a sensitive policy issue or collaborating with civil society or putting that up to government as strongly however in certain ways they do for instance under the telecom bill consultation in the pre consultation airtel for instance has said that the government may need to compensate us for internet shutdowns because that results in a loss of revenue because we essentially make money when people access the internet by itself so i would say there are spots there needs to be wider collaboration our media advocacy usually has been to respond quick to respond and provide expert analysis at the time of a public conversation which is already existing also try to prompt certain pegs but also engage with standing committees give support to litigants in long term causes things like that i would say there is interest on this issue on tech policy and i think so this podcast itself speaks to it if people also search for news reports people are having this conversation it's just that the process of reform is very glacial it's not picking up the same kind of pace as one would expect that is true in you know because you know there are so many aspects of our legal you know f- framework that actually moves very very slowly even last year apart i remember that the parliamentary standing committee on communications and uh, it had uh, expressed some concern over frequent internet shutdowns uh, because they were done without any kind of empirical study the standing committee had pulled up the department of communications te- telecommunications for not maintaining the record of incidents what has happened after that has there been any follow up at the parliamentary level has there any has there has there been any follow up from the advocacy groups or from the media uh, to question those people who are in charge of these of implementing these rules so the parliamentary committee on information technology is a non partisan body in which when of course members to that committee are determined as per the strength of a political party in parliament but they do not wear their party affiliations inside the committee by itself at least notionally that has been parliamentary procedure and process hence it's important to understand that irrespective of a specific chairperson being there for a specific party the issue is important so the standing committee after deliberations for quite a long time on december 1 2021 released a report titled as suspension of telecom services internet and its impact it made recommendations to the department of telecom on the ministry of home affairs these recommendations are on the basis of also hearing out representatives from these government departments as well as civil society bodies such as us in fact one of our representations is cited in the report of the standing committee by itself now the standing committee looks at the rules which you had uh, stated which are the suspension of telecom services rules and has made recommendations in the 2021 report in which it says you need to maintain official data on internet shutdowns the composition powers and functions of certain review committees to review the decisions needs to be improved 
the constitution needs to be improved safeguards against misuse need to be there effectiveness of some suspension of telecom services needs to be studied and you need to consult with stakeholders and you need to observe the principle of proportionality and procedure for lifting of internet shutdowns now the department of telecom and the ministry of home affairs have essentially after this report has been tabled have also resisted its implementation for instance on maintenance of official data on internet shutdowns they say that this data is actually there with the state governments so the mha and the dot can't query it but this by itself is not something which is not done in other categories of data collection the central government does collect data from state governments for instance it collects data not only for centrally administered schemes in which it gives financial support it also collects data in what is called as the crime in india report which is published by the national crime records bureau which falls under the ministry of home affairs even though law and order is a state subject the crime in india report contains the details of first information reports of firs which are registered in various thanas and police stations across india similarly given that telecommunications is a central subject and law and order is a state subject there is and should be interest by the dot and the mha to actually catalog and start accounting for internet shutdowns query the official data and have a clear count of the number of internet shutdowns our problem is also lack of transparency here and once states have to report it year on year we will have a clear official institutionalized accounting as to what are the trends based on each states in parliament now this is still being refused now based on this the responses after the december 2021 report was first made and the responses from dot and mha was uh, received the parliamentary standing committee has made a further report called the action taken report which has come this year and in the mm-hmm. action taken report it again states that the dot and mha should establish a mechanism at the earliest to maintain a centralized database of all internet shutdown orders in the country this is just one of the several recommendations but i would like to say this is all processes one should not lose faith and hope in we have to engage and build institutions such as a standing committee we have to engage with the executive arms of the department of telecom ministry of home affairs and this will itself is be a form of democratic engagement which essentially helps over a longer course of time i think we have the possibility of reform and the standing committee report the action taken report are good points to of reference today which we did not have about 3 years you know because the the uh, rules that govern internet shutdowns are kind of you know empowering even local authorities not just uh, central authorities it could be that you know because they want to keep those powers to themselves and any questioning of that power because they've implemented a shutdown or for example you know recording that for a central database for instance will bring into question their you know fidelity in in such cases or you know the fact that you know they will be under scrutiny does that you know play a part in local authorities not you know sharing this data with uh, with the central authority this could be a reason itself it could also be a reason that the central authorities themselves don't want to gather this data given that it may show india in a bad light which has become also a form of 
institutionalized interest to prevent criticism of India as a nation globally, irrespective of whatever is happening and thereby to shield publication of data by itself. But I'd like to just point out that under the Anuradha Basin judgment, the law today is quite clearly that if you make an internet shutdown order, you need to publish it and make it publicly available. So it is not as if the state governments or local authorities can keep them as secret. What is needed today is for the MHA and DOT to reach out and to say, where are you keeping these orders publicly? And then to query them. So it is not as if that this data is private or it requires uh, more resources for, for gathering the data by itself, which are beyond budgetary outlays or it's a huge uh, cost. I would say it's essentially a form of resistance to a deeper form of scrutiny, a deeper form of check, which comes through greater amounts of transparency in which members of the public can even rank states. They can say that as per official government of India data, Rajasthan has shut down the internet more than in Jammu and Kashmir. And I would say that this is something which is very well needed today. It also gives incentives to state governments to invest in policing resources, which can be done in the right way and manner or in the same kind of way rather than shutting down the internet. And I think that's would be to their self-interest. It can inspire a kind of competitive federalism, which actually supports fundamental rights rather than injures them. Do you think that the media in general, whether electronic or print really doesn't matter, do you think that the media in general should play a larger role in creating this awareness? Irrespective of the state of the media ecology today, I would say the media needs to be uh, interested in this issue because internet shutdowns are also a form of information control. They are a way in which they cannot do their news gathering operations in specific geographies. They cannot also serve their audiences, viewers, readers, listeners in those constituencies. It impacts the news gathering and distribution of their channels as well. So if nothing, if only in their own self-interest, I would say the media needs to play a much more active role. And here I would like to point out the media has indeed played a role through certain associations in the past. Anuradha Basin herself is a journalist and the publisher of Kashmir Times. And the subsequent cases, as well as the batch petitions which are filed in the Supreme Court, were by the foundation of media professionals. Right. So, you know, when we talk about, you know, society, you know, loss in economic loss, for example, even the studies that you've cited have been conducted by organizations that are, you know, from outside the country. But are there any studies on economic losses, uh, you know, emanating from internet shutdowns? Uh, that have been conducted, you know, locally? If not, why do you think there is, is it because there is lack of data or is it because there is lack of access? What exactly is stopping you know, local studies on uh, economic losses due to shutdowns? So one credible study which has been done in India has been done by the Indian Council for Research on International Economic Relations. It was authored by Rajat Kathuria, Mansi Kedia, Gangesh Verma, and that was released in the in around June 2020. I think so. Follow-up studies have not been done, but what one needs essentially is a methodology and a continuous evaluation because it's not only the parameters of uh, internet shutdown causing the static loss; uh, it varies because the number of internet connections and our dependency. 
as well as economic activity through the internet increases day on day, if not minute by minute as a nation. So I would say the economic losses keep deepening. What we need are more studies uh, locally done, also globally done, because I, it's my belief that diversity of interpretation of data sources also helps advance a better form of thought because then you have a system in which one cross-checks the other. But I would say, to your very pointed question, why haven't there been more studies? I would just say it's speaking to the availability of resources uh, to conduct this kind of work in India today, where civil society quite often finds itself not having the kind of money to engage expert researchers who can conduct these multi-month studies, uh, maintain these kinds of projects, etc. And that's been our experience even at IFF, that the amount of money which is available even to support litigation on this or to advocacy on this has shrunk year on year either from the public, local philanthropies, or grant-making institutions. So I would say that's a wider issue, and it's especially an issue for non-profits, experts, and think tanks who are not having the FCRA registration. And I would urge you, Sachin, also to do a podcast on the FCRA and how it's involved in it. Yes, we, we are we are in the process of uh, finalizing one such, because that's, that's an entirely new issue that uh, think tanks and other advocacy groups are are facing and it's going to be a little tough to you know to fight that again like most legal battles in india it's going to you know require a lot of patience from all of us <laughs> to to look at uh, look at these issues but apar uh, thank you so much for spending nearly 40 minutes with us i really appreciate that i know that this requires a much much larger discussion it requires a nationwide discourse on internet shutdowns, the economic losses, the social fallout, the cultural fallout, or the economic fallout, of course, the academic fallout of, of internet shutdowns. We will do a follow-up maybe at a later stage when there is any anything to follow up after, you know, maybe a parliamentary standing committee uh, looking at empirical data to look at what the impact has been and whether the DOT has, in fact, you know, gone ahead and collaborated with the home ministry or the state governments to look at minimizing the losses uh, because of internet shutdowns, or maybe the courts will intervene and completely strike down internet shutdowns as uh, unconstitutional. So we'll wait for a day, but for that day, but uh, at this point of time, thank you very much, Apar, for joining me. And I read And uh, thank you to all the listeners of the All Things Policy podcast. Please feel free to reach out to me on various social media channels. I always enjoy a discussion around the issues and the work. Thank you so much. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashila.inst or our website takshashila.org.in.